at the time I was 15 or so, I was very interested in the big questions. I was very interested in understanding what life's about. And I think we do all typically go through these phases and, and uh, often it comes from crises. It allowed me to understand that I really wanted to see the world as one and also understanding that we're much more powerful than we realise that energy and our ability to focus our thoughts and focus our energy is what bring things to life. And I wanted to see how um, we could, in fact, unite all of these challenges and tensions between different world perspectives. And so literally my life has been about gaining the experience and meeting the people that can help me understand and see and understand their perspectives of life with a view to bringing that back to what unites us. Welcome to episode 185 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from inspirational people to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. A waterfall begins with one drop. That's the concept behind the Be The Drop podcast and a key philosophy in my life. I believe that together we can create and achieve amazing things. My guest this week has a very similar outlook. In fact, the philosophy of his company, Bionic, is together we find a better way. And his life's purpose is to find what unites us for positive global change. Ben Bickford is a visionary and philosopher, but he's also a businessman. From philosophising with someone from the Atomic Energy Commission while selling things at Camberwell Markets in London at age 15, to debating global change with some of the world's greatest minds at the 2020 Global Economic Forum, Ben thinks big. In this episode of Be The Drop, recorded live from Pausefest, Ben reflects on some of life's seriously big questions. And at a time where coronavirus is spreading global concern, he shares timely insights and tips for motivating ourselves and others to affect global change. This is Ben's version of Be The Drop. Are you considering starting a podcast? At Narrative Marketing, we deliver a full range of podcast production options. Or if you'd like help getting started to produce your own content, we also deliver podcast training programs. Hit the link in the show notes for more details. Ben, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Fabulous. Thank you for having me. Well, we're here with as much natural light as possible at Paws Fest. You've even organised a little birdie to come into the, the area did. where we are. I did, just to make it feel very natural <laughs> and relaxing. That's very Good light. So we're, we're ready to go. We are. I'd love you to get us kick-started with a bit of a story. Mm. Now, this is going to be a challenge because your life story has got many tangents and many components. But is there one that you could share that just sets a bit of a scene for Ben and the journey you've been on? Well, I think in terms of tangents in my world, I understand my planets, I understand the universe that I live in, but for others I could understand why it looks like a lot of tangents. For me it's actually got one purpose, one goal, and I can relate it back to when I was 15. And I remember working, well, collaborating with my family, we were trying to clear the garage and we were selling a lot of, um, a lot of things at this famous market called Campbell Markets. 
and my brothers and parents had taken off and I was sort of given the task of selling the final items and, and clearing up. And I ended up meeting this very interesting guy who told me later on he was from the Atomic en Energy Commission. And at the time I was 15 or so, and I remember speaking to him and what led to roughly about a five hour conversation about life, the universe and everything. And uh, so it gives you a bit of an idea of where my mind, my picture, my world model was back then at that age. I was very interested in the big questions. I was very interested in understanding what life's about. And I think we do all typically go through these phases and, and uh, have these uh, questions in mind at some point in life. Often it comes from crises. And in my case, it was just being inquisitive and, and very, very curious. And what that led to uh, after that conversation was a bit of a realisation and a revelation of what my life's about. At 15? Yes. This is great. Yes. And, and you can't just leave us there. You've like given us this hook. This is a revelation. <laughs> and which was? Well, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when you say tangent, again, it's one of those little things that I pick up on a lot because people look at me. And in fact, my mum used to say to me, Ben, why don't you just do one thing? Because I'd look like to her and to anyone else even to the family as an example like I'm scattered I'm I've got all these interests I've got all these various things that I'm putting my energy into why don't I just focus on one thing and then I could really follow through and get it done so linking back to that experience back at Campbell Markets and that amazing conversation where I, I had someone at a level where I could ask these big questions and get you know very deep answers from uh, the psychology perspective from a um, I guess from a science and, and the experience that this person had, uh, it, it allowed me to understand that I really wanted to see the world as one. I wanted to see how um, we could, in fact, unite all of these challenges and tensions between different world perspectives. And so literally my life has been about gaining the experience and meeting the people that can help me understand and see and understand their perspectives of life with a view to bringing that back to what unites us. Mm, what a beautiful purpose. So, I mean, but there's so many layers of challenges and questions that I want to ask you in and around that. But I'll, I'll, I'll start with the obvious, you know, and you talked about the fact that you've got many things going on and you have got multiple companies, board roles, different things that you're doing. Give us a little snapshot of that. Okay. Um, my first company was when I was at university and I started something called Bionic Consulting Services. My father's business was called Bionic, so I was very inspired by him, by um, what he was doing in the area of health and I would say alternative medicine because back then if you did anything that didn't involve uh, someone with the credentials of a doctor, uh, you may as well be banging two fish above someone's head and letting them know they're going to feel a lot better tomorrow, right? <laughs> uh, but literally I've grown up with that sort of perspective as well, which is uh, more the alternative views, right? The open, openness to alternative ways of seeing things, alternative ways of um, relating, and also understanding that we're much more powerful than we realise, that energy and our ability to focus our thoughts and focus our energy is what brings things to life. And no matter which religion or faith you believe in, uh, from that that sort of early experience of starting a business at 18, and I, I, I do feel that business is an amazing uh, vehicle for transformation. Uh, some see it as a way of making money, but I actually see it as a way of exchanging value. So for me, business is a way in which you actually understand other people's needs and you meet those needs. So 
Bionic for me at that early stage, Bionic already was a brand that I'd envisioned would be the most trusted brand in history and the most trusted brand for the next millennium and beyond. And I've worked towards that as well, being able to create a digital concierge that would serve humanity and would be focused around connecting and exchanging value between the people that have a need and the people and the partners and the technologies that perhaps could serve those needs more efficiently than ever before. Mm, I love that as a concept of the transfer of value. You know, if if that was more prevalent across business, I think what a wonderful scenario we would find ourselves in. So tell me about that then. How do you go about creating a, a transfer of value? Well, I spoke about this at TEDx in Davos only two weeks ago when I was there. Uh, and I must admit, it wasn't on my plan, but it turned out that I met someone when I was at the Hard Rock Cafe where I was staying. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I didn't... I chuckle because, of course, that, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't quite fit into the, the hotel scene there in Davos. You had to be sort of a world leader of, uh, you know, Donald Trump or uh, Greta Thunberg or... Uh, uh, I did meet Jamie Dimon, the... Um, chairman and CEO of JP Morgan when I was there as well. I had the chance to go to an event with uh, and hear George Soros, someone who moves enough money to literally uh, move currencies. And uh, I think he's known for actually making more than a billion dollars in overnight betting against the pound and then the UK government stepping in to, to sort of back it. And, and he, he being a famous hedge fund manager, um, has a lot of a lot of funds behind him, and he can do those sorts of things, which is almost like nudging the earth, right? He can he can actually nudge mm. the earth, and it and it starts to wobble a bit. So it's a very uh, influential place, a very um, interesting collection of leaders, and I would say thought leaders, and and the people that actually really do have the intention of trying to improve um, mm. problems in the world through the lens of economics. So the understanding of how nations can create greater wealth and, and my personal perspective on it is about common wealth being uh, and having the fortunate experience of growing up here in Australia we have obviously that connection in history back to um, the British Empire to the Commonwealth and and for me this is where this exchange of value starts to um, really multiply where when you invest in your communities and invest between the communities that trade with each other, sharing value, then you really can achieve uh, this concept of commonwealth. And it's quite different to the way the economies of the world are working today because we have nation-based approaches to trading. And what that creates is this division, this demarcation where they're actually adversarial. So you see it in in terms of the news and the way that um, Donald Trump's been making a stand against the Chinese and vice versa. They've been retaliating in terms of these trade wars. And the reality is that it's not so much the politicians that get impacted by this, it's the people. Those trade wars actually impact people because it drives prices up. And when they start adding tariffs and extra costs to goods and services, the people that ultimately pay for it is is you know, the citizens. And uh, whereas coming back to that Commonwealth approach, it's really about now taking advantage of uh, and seeing the opportunity for e-commerce and global trade to transcend these nation borders and that people will decide what products, what services deliver the most value to them, not just because they live in the United States, they're going to buy United States products. And um, so 
it's not something that's talked about in the media, but uh, I think that there's a great opportunity now for people to realise that we really do have the technology to empower us to make choices and to uh, recognise the value and the communities that we want to be a part of, and even for that matter, the media that represents our interests, rather than just, say, buying and consuming the mainstream media that, that's been available all our lives, you know, from radio mm. to television and now internet. But we actually have a choice. We have, we're empowered to make these choices. And all of a sudden, the governments of the world are going to have to manoeuvre back to what we want and to personalise back to what we need as opposed to um, perhaps what is skewed towards the, uh, the powers that be that, that lobby the government, those that have the money to influence it mm. and to affect change in a way that serves the corporations rather than the people. And so... Uh, my long and short, short answer to that is it's been learning more about the, the way in which we can affect change and to do that for the greater good. Mm, and it's interesting because, you know, I asked you a question around providing value in business, but your answer really highlights your whole philosophical approach because you went large international community <laughs> response. So you are definitely, and you did say this, you're, you're a big picture thinker. What do you think? Like, I, I think for many people that it is challenging to think big picture because the big picture can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, there's much that we don't necessarily understand in the big picture, perspectives that we don't necessarily understand. So what is your advice? How do people start thinking in that bigger picture way so that we can drive change collectively? It's a good question. Uh, well, firstly, I think that everyone counts. Everyone has a contribution to make. We've all got special skills and gifts and reflecting on that, whether it's a mother who, who wants to be the best mother she can and give her kids the best chance in life, um, whether it's a father who doesn't want to spend, you know, 10 hours a day at work and he would prefer to work more flexibly so that he can spend time with his family and kids and turn up for the, the sports day for his son or daughter and, and play a part you know, in driving them around on the weekend and spending that sort of precious time with them and their friends even, or the siblings. So really it does not just encompass the big picture, but it does come back to life. It comes back to the human values and what we, we find is important. And then building on that, it's about understanding who can support and make that and enrich that as part of our lives. Because if you think about it, if something's not serving us, even at the basic level, at the humanity level, at the, the family and the family values, then you know we need to actually start questioning and pushing back. And I think we need to do that and understand that there's communities, there's other people that are like-minded that can help um, in that opportunity. And uh, so I'd say it comes back to relationships that with like-minded people, where we can start to build some momentum and affect change. So to know that each and every one of us can do that individually and we can also reach out and find other people that can support us to, uh, to make these little changes that do, at a butterfly effect, affect change at the biggest scale as well. Mm, well, I mean, you're talking about something that resonates very deeply with me and Be The Drop is based on the saying that I like that a waterfall begins with one drop. It's all about how we collectively come together to create waterfalls. But one of the things that I see is um, a common barrier is fear and, you know, differences. So within communities, particularly when you start talking about international communities, but even within Australia, different communities, we, we seem, you know... we it's human nature to feel comfortable with like, you know, of, of people who we can see ourselves. 
but to really be greater and bigger and, and reflect change, we need to move beyond fear and beyond differences. How do we help create conversations and narratives around that? This is a huge topic for me because uh, I have been divorced and, and it was a very challenging time in my life. And I'd have to say it was probably one of the most challenging in my life. Um, and at the time, I remember learning about a particular way of seeing life. It's referred to as Kabbalah. And it's a, it's a mystical uh, belief that we're all connected. And it's ancient as well. It's, it's got a you know, long, long history. And it's not just uh, common to one particular faith. It's actually common across a range of faiths at the mystical level. So um, it's not necessarily the practical, but it's the, the mystical, ancient understanding that we're all one, we're all connected. And from that, it's not prescribing how we have to live. But when we understand that, we actually look at nature differently. We look at... Uh, the way in which, for instance, we treat our environment. So we've got someone like Greta Thunberg, a young, you know, uh, a young girl who's doing an amazing job standing up to the way things are and making a sacrifice, an incredible sacrifice for us all to understand that we're not doing enough. And really what I find uh, inspiring about that scenario is it's one person doing an incredible thing just to wake us all up. And you spoke about fear. I think uh, fear, and, and this is an interesting question people can ask themselves and to your listeners as well, what is the opposite of love? What actually challenges love? And what's the state in which you're in that you can't think or feel love? Some would say it's hate. Some say uh, anger. But if you think about it, when you're in a state of fear, it's about survival. And fear that survival is the innate instinct of humans. And when we're in that state, we, we're not thinking about love. We're not thinking about others. We're thinking about ourselves. And in fact, this is something that I've looked a lot into. And I think it's very interesting when you look to the world's media and the way in which uh, messages are propagated around you know, the viruses at the moment or whatever it might be, it's a very polarizing approach to messages and to memes and to insights that are geared towards instilling and, and triggering that fear factor. Mm. So then if we, if we go beyond that then and creating new narratives, I'm working on a documentary that's called Transcending the Gender Narrative, so it's around gender equality, but the, the interesting aspect of that is how do we transcend new narratives? How do we create new conversations around conversations that we've had multiple times um, for the same things? And, and I think, you know, you touch on this around fear like and, mm. and media, how we're using fear and media. Mm. So how, you know, what are your thoughts around changing conversations? That's uh, it's a great question. And you're asking me a bit about my philosophy of change and transformation. Now, change for me means you could take a step forward and you could take a step back. But transformation means you literally elevate yourself to another level. So maybe that's the first point. I use language and I look at the way we speak and the way we say things and the actual meaning of what we say. So that's probably the first point. Um, because to actually make any change whatsoever, we've got to reflect on what we say and how we say it and what we mean by that. Because the words themselves sometimes fail us. We actually need to look at the language we use because language does also limit us. What, uh, one of the things I learned on this trip actually was that people in Sweden relate the moon to be a male energy 
and the sun to be a female energy. But if you deal with people from Spain and their culture, they understand the opposite. And so what that is, it inherently starts to create a bit of a bridge, well, a bridge, but also a gap between understanding. Because we, we only really truly understand others when we understand their upbringing, their culture, and where they're coming from, not just ourselves. So starting with, from a point of understanding, then to be understood is one of the things my mentors have helped me understand as well, which is uh, always a good starting point. And if I relate that to the talk that I gave at Davos, it was literally about that. It was how to connect and build bridges with people so that we have the right environment for exchange, solving problems, doing business and creating an impact. And so in doing that, the mindset um, is now about trying to understand who someone might be, where they're from and their culture, and building on that foundation of mutual understanding and respect. Um, that would be a starting point. I personally don't come to meetings with an agenda generally. I, I come to learn, I come to grow, and I come to with an understand, wanting to understand about the people I'm meeting with. And then from that conversation and dialogue comes the understanding of where there might be something of interest or there might be a common goal or a common uh, project that we might be able to collaborate on. Mm, so it really, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking it's really about an openness. You're so open mm. to to the learning and the growth and the opportunity and a willingness mm. for that. But then also a lot of compassion for mm. humanity and, mm. and what we bring. Mm. Mm. You know, it's a it's a lovely combination. So then, how you know, in in going forward, you mm. know, and you're a you're a man with vision and you're, you're looking forward constantly. I feel. What is it that you think are our great opportunities? Where are you really excited about? moving forward? <laughs> well, thank you for asking that question because it really does allow me to open up a little bit more. Um, I'd like to share with your listeners something that hopefully many of them know and for those that don't, the United Nations has already identified the 17 biggest challenges and biggest issues in the world and they relate to humanity, they relate to the environment, they relate to the planet and at the end of the day, they're about goals and objectives that will actually make the biggest impact in the world, in my view, in the view of the United Nations. And so that's the view, if you like, of the leaders of the world. And that's a common thread between my recent trip. So the trip that I've just arrived back from, uh, the objective was to go to Davos. It was to world, meet with world leaders. It was to meet with policymakers and to see how, in fact, me as an individual, together with all of the people in my network and all the experiences I've had, can help affect change in the world. And from this trip, I've got to know a lot more about um, the United Nations, what they call sustainable development goals, and there's 17 of them. And if I just quickly step through that if I might. Yeah, sure. From the first one, the first one's no poverty. It's not about even putting a dent in poverty, it's no poverty because living with an abundant mindset, we don't need to have poverty. And a big part of these 17 goals is actually not about money, it's about mindset. So for me, coming back from this trip in Davos, and I actually redirected my trip to include about five or six days in, in um, Cairo, in Egypt, to attend with a group of about 40 people where we had exclusive access to new pyramids and new sites and new ancient wisdom that hasn't yet been shared with the world. And that's gonna come to the world later this year um, wow. on a channel, uh, the History <laughs> Channel. And I've been a party to that as well. So uh, I've come back very inspired, but if I link it to these SDGs, the next one, number two, is actually um, in terms of uh, 
addressing zero hunger as well because you know one of the topics that I've heard in multiple events that I've been to now around the world in the last couple of years is we actually have enough food to feed the world and some and and yet you hear others talking about um, you know there's we're probably overpopulated and, and that we we need to curb the population but the reality is it's we are wasting so much food that we actually can address hunger and that again is just a mindset making that important enough that we take the steps to do something about that and address that problem where you and I met last year at that event called Space um, up in northern New South Wales, there was a lady there that was representing a fantastic charity focused on addressing food wastage. Mm. So there we have the Ronnie second... Ronnie from Oz Harvest. That's it, Ronnie from Oz Harvest. Did yeah. you get to interview her? No, I haven't, okay. but I have spoken to her. She's okay. fabulous. She's I will. Definitely she's definitely someone on my you want Exactly. Yes. <laughs> she's definitely someone... She's a busy woman, though. Yes. So Oz Harvest, uh, you know, again, an initiative by someone, uh, Ronnie, who's really passionate about addressing addressing this problem and then a community group that people can get involved in if making you know and taking care of and transforming this problem about hunger is important to them so i want people and your listeners to understand you're no longer on your own and if you have and feel compelled to do something about any one of these sustainable development goals and i mentioned there's 17 of them the third one's about good health and well-being now, I'm an investor in genetics, and part of my trip has actually been um, also connecting up uh, opportunities that Australia's world-leading genetic technology is going to transform the way in which we deal with our health in future. So I'll mention two particular chronic illnesses that are um, now at uh, risk of being you know, eliminated, and that is type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And those two diseases contribute to $44 trillion of spend each year, every year. And with awareness, 70% or more of those illnesses can actually be eliminated. So part of what I'm looking to work on is and bring is these amazing people here in Australia and all around the world, connecting them up to the ability to distribute these new technologies and these services. And I've been involved in mobile and mobile apps and mobile technology for many years. So we've got a very affordable way, a new media way of reaching world population, educating them and helping them make better decisions about their life and lifestyle that can, as I say, as uh, the research shows, address just those two issues alone, address probably in excess of 20 trillion dollars worth of spend mm. and 20 trillion dollars worth of pain suffering and impact that's impacting people's lives their families' lives and so on and so forth in conclusion I do like to ask for your be the drop tip so I'd love to know what Ben's be the drop tip is and that's your top tip for communicating storytelling sharing you know consciousness in a way that motivates and inspires what would be your top tip for achieving that well, you're really coming back to the philosophy of my company, Bionic, and Bionic for now, uh, let's see, it's uh, 42 years of my life, I'm 50, uh, actually, it's probably about 11, so about 39 years of my life. It's been together we find a better way. So that really sums me up. It's, it's not about me, it's not about any one other person, it's about all of us collectively uh, finding a better way and that's a continuous journey it's an ongoing journey and uh, that way I feel like we'll continue to be inspired and uh, living the life that we're meant to live uh, being all that we can be in each and every moment and that's the infinite possibility 
being creative, expressing ourselves, being true to ourselves and, and love at the heart of everything. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.